Hello and welcome to The Shovel, a podcast brought to you by Property Leaders Brisbane, an independent and vibrant community open to professionals working in the property and construction industry. The Shovel is a natural extension of the conversations we have at our events where we share and debate ideas and inspire positive change in our city. This season of The Shovel focuses on our theme for 2021, Brazilians. Welcome to this episode of The Shovel Podcast, a podcast prepared by Property Leaders Brisbane. My name is Matthew Mackey and I'm the Chair of Property Leaders Brisbane and a Director at Arcadis Australia Pacific. Today's guest is Alison Myrams. Alison is the founding CEO of boutique tier one construction company Roberts Co. The company was founded in 2017 and within its first three years has a workbook of over $1 billion. Alison is also the director of the UNSW Foundation Board and was previously a director of the Australian Steel Institute and a member of the Board of Advisors for the Property Industry Foundation. She's deeply passionate about addressing the systemic issues that exist in the construction industry and attracting and retaining more women in the industry. Welcome to the podcast, Alison. Thank you for having me. I'm sure a number of our listeners will be wondering, well, a few of them may never have heard of Roberts Co because you are obviously a, a predominantly a New South Wales business and not active in the Brisbane market. So I'm sure a few of them are wondering why are we interviewing you today? Just going through that intro, I think it's probably a good place to start. So when you say that you're deeply passionate about addressing systemic issues that exist in the industry, what are those issues? Yeah, very good question. Roberts Co was founded just over four and a half years ago and We were given a blank sheet of paper and a mandate from the board to create the best construction company we could. And when you look at the industry, we have some stats that we should be enormously proud of. We're the third largest employer in the country. We represent just over 9% of GDP. You constantly hear the government saying it's going to be an infrastructure-led recovery to COVID. But we've got statistics that we should be less proud of and that, that we have very high presenteeism on site we have very high divorce rates, very high suicide rates. Male construction workers are double the chance of committing suicide just because they work in the construction industry. A construction worker is six times more likely to die from suicide than a workplace accident. We only have 18% of females in the industry, but less than 2% of trades are female. And when I look at all those things, I think, how can we go on and ignore it? You know, we've, we've been given this incredible opportunity to start with a blank sheet of paper. So we've made an effort to try and address those things. And I'll add into that as well, that this profile in the industry is just getting harder and harder. So there's certainly some challenges out there and I'm going to try my hardest to address where we can. So one of the things you, you touched on there was that you had a remit from the board to create the best construction company that you could. What's different about Roberts Co to other tier one contractors? What we did, we looked at, if I start with risk profile, I've spent my entire career, 25 years in the construction industry working for builders. And it is harder to build today than it was 25 years ago. And that is because of the processes and procedures that the contractors have put into the supply chain that doesn't necessarily add value. But everyone has a lot of comfort in being busy risk profile is harder as well. So I can't change some things, but I can influence them by how we behave. And so our contract, our page limited our lawyers, and our biggest contract is 24 pages. And whilst I don't agree with all of the risk profile that's passed down from the client to the head contractor, 
we have made the conscious decision not to pass that down to the supply chain. And in black ink, it says we will be fair and reasonable. When I look at the female participation in the industry, we have deliberately gone and recruited a lot of female talent. And I haven't given a female a token job. I've got amazingly talented women, but we are 38% female in our staff. And one of the biggest things that we've done is really challenge working hours and working conditions. For females on site, there's a lot of research that says that they don't feel like they fit in if they have poorly fitting PPE, if they don't have female amenities. So we have female-specific PPE, we have female amenities, we have breastfeeding rooms on site, we have prayer rooms on site. And the big thing we've done is really challenge working hours. And on two of our projects, two hospital projects, we built them five days a week, working Monday to Friday. And we have another two projects, one's in the ground and one's in ACI that will be five days as well. We engaged the University of New South Wales to study the two hospital projects and that report comes out on hopefully the 29th of November this year with the scientific independent research that proves that working five days a week is better for everyone. Great. So I suppose it's also worth pointing out on the back of that that some of our listeners don't actually work in construction, but they do work in the property industry. And yeah. they may not be familiar with the fact that you know, traditionally, you know, at least over the last 15 years or so, construction has been a six-day week industry, hasn't it? It has been a six-day week industry, and more often than not, it's becoming a seven-day week industry. And as a result of COVID in New South Wales, the Department of Planning actually said to make up for lost time, you can now work your DA hours your Monday to Friday DA hours, Monday to Sunday, um, which just means sites are now open seven days a week. And the toll that takes on workers, on their families, on their children, it is unsustainable. And we have an enormous skill shortage in the country at the moment. And by our working hours, our working patterns, we are making ourselves unattractive to a whole lot of people in the country. But when you look at the fact that tradespeople are only 2% female, there's essentially 50% of the gene pool that we're not tapping into that if we did, the skill shortage might not be as bad as it is. Now, to do that, you've got to make the industry more attractive. And to females, that means I want to be able to be a mum, I want to be able to have a family and have a career. That's pretty hard to do six days a week. But what we have found out of the Concord study is we actually need to fix the industry for men. It's not a female issue, it's a people issue that we need to tackle. I know you said the results aren't going to be published for a while, but what are the the trends that you're seeing that you're hoping the report is going to confirm when it's published at the end of November? So the trends that we've seen, workers are saying, I'm happier, I'm healthier, I'm less depressed, I'm more rested, I'm happier to go to work on a Monday because I feel like I've had a weekend, and they're more productive. The subcontract owners are saying it's the most productive and one of the safest sites they're working on. The feedback from Next of Kin says, that and we studied about I think it was about twelve next of kin in the survey. The next of kin have said my partner is happier, healthier, you know, more rested, but they've got more time for their partners. They've got more time for kids. They're taking kids to sport on a Saturday. Some of the workers are now playing sport on a Saturday, which you can't do if you're at work. And sport is the greatest dream. But what really surprised me, and I didn't expect was the feedback was that because our hours are so long and unpredictable, mothers and partners have walked away from full-time work to be the carers for children. 
and that all the caring responsibility falls to partners. Now, if you think about that, we are stopping women from working by our working patterns and we are the third largest employer in the country. So not only are we bad at bringing women into the industry, we're actually stopping women from working in society. And for me, that was the big piece that I just went, wow, we have to change. You know, I want more women to have a career, to have a life, to have it all, but our working patterns are actually stopping it and that's not okay. Now, when you think about it, if they don't work Saturdays, they get an extra 48 days off per annum. That's six weeks of rest per annum. If you extrapolate that out, for every eight years they work on a five-day-a-week site, they get an entire year of time with their family. And if you put that to a 40-year career, there's five years of time that we are taking away from people. For what? For profit? For a job to be finished early? But what we are seeing is people on site are more productive working Monday to Friday, not working Saturday. And in the industry years ago, you'd get time and a half overtime during the week and then you get double time on Saturday. So it was worth working Saturday. All overtime is now paid at double time under the current EBAs in New South Wales. So there's actually not a massive advantage to working Saturdays now. And so what we're finding is if they work seven till five instead of seven till three, they can pick up the overtime they need to enhance their pay packet, but they can have Saturdays off to spend with their friends and family and rest and recuperate and do all the things that we like to do on a weekend. That's awesome, particularly as the conversation certainly has moved, even in the last five years, to, you know, with our You OK Day and mental well-being, etc. That conversation has accelerated quite a lot over the last few years, and particularly on the back of COVID, which we'll get to in a minute, because that's a whole different conversation. I think the, the things that you're talking about there really kind of contribute to that. So it's amazing, really, when you think when we've been having those conversations about mental well-being, that how we yep. actually operate and how we actually build that has not been part of that conversation, at least not in any kind of direct way. It's almost been kind of inferred. Well, as well, under the WHS legislation, we have an obligation to mitigate risk to human health, and that's safety, it's physical and mental. And the test is to eliminate or reduce wherever reasonably practicable. I think we have just shown you what is reasonably practicable. So Project 5, working Monday to Friday, should now be the bare minimum that you can do to make sure people's psychosocial health at work is okay. We need to stop pushing programs as hard as we are because we are figuratively killing people and that's not okay. With that, looking at the other side of a construction project then, what's the impact been on the client? Because you know, I'm sure there are some naysayers around town that would say, if you're going to be working five days a week, you're not working weekends, you're going to be building slower. Has that been the case? Has there been any negativity from the clients or have the clients embraced it as well? No, the only negativity has come from my competitors. <laughs> the, the, um, health infrastructure was our clients and they are enormously supportive. They have been absolutely wonderful. And we got increased productivity from the workers working Monday to Friday. And if you think about it, you know, go to when you were at uni, you were given a month to do your assignment. Did you do it in the first week or did you do it in the last two days? So you expand your work to fit the available time. If Saturdays is available, you can say, let's not do it today, we'll do it tomorrow and we'll get overtime. If Saturdays was paid at half time, I question how many people would come in on a Saturday. At the moment, the workers get a benefit because they get overtime. They get paid at double time. But what we're saying is still get overtime, just get it 
between three and five Monday to Friday and have two full days off and go and rest and recuperate. We've seen much better fatigue management on the project, giving people two days off. We've seen less aggression on the project because everyone's not at constant boiling point. They're rested and they've got capacity to deal with, look, this issue just happened or, you know, that's going to be an issue. They've got capacity to sit back and think about it because they're rested. So when you say to people, you don't have Saturday makeup day anymore, they then became really well planned. As I said, we got more productivity. We saw subcontractors starting to push the program for us and they'd say to the team, you're pouring on Friday. And our guys and girls would say, the deck's not ready. And they'd be like, it'll be ready. Book the concrete. You book it in. We'll make sure you're ready. Because they wanted to get it done before they had two days off. They didn't want to push it to a Monday. So we saw a huge amount of the teams working together, you know, the ability to push program in safe means. And I don't mean push hard. I mean, be organized, be planned, and you can get the work done. And whilst I thought we would get an increase in work-life balance scores, we actually measured it across nine elements and all nine elements saw an increase. An increase in relationship with your site manager, with your peers, with your pay, all that sort of stuff. Everything went up, which I wasn't expecting. So the final report, I have had a sneak peek, is a great read and people will enjoy it. And I hope people look at it and go, you know what, that makes so much logical sense. We can just be more organised, get it done Monday to Friday and have the weekend off. Here, here. And I suppose what you're saying there as well, uh, you know, just to try and summarise that to a certain extent, is that it's not just about process, it's not just about your project execution plan. What you've actually demonstrated here is that there's been a positive behavioural change as well from all project participants. Yeah, absolutely. And we did. We have done a few other things differently. We have streamlined our procedures. So if a process doesn't add value, you can't have it. We have, as I said, we've got shortened contracts. Uh, when you walk into site, we have a thank you sign and it names every single subcontractor on the job because ultimately we don't build, right? We manage, head contractors manage, subcontractors build. So we name every subcontractor on the job and they walk in the gate and they see their name and they hold their heads up high and they walk in proudly, you know, and we treat everyone with decency. So it's not big tweaks you have to change. It's just consistently changing everything a little bit to be as streamlined as, as efficient as we can possibly make it and not be proud to say I'm busy, be proud to say I've done my work, I'm going home and that's a change we need to make in the industry. It's okay to go home and see your family. When you get to the end of November and you've got this report published, what outcome are you hoping for beyond obviously the publication of this paper? The outcome I'm hoping for is that the industry adopts it. You know, at the moment, as I said, we've now got four jobs working five days a week. In 2000 and I think it was 2018, the New South Wales government released a 10-point plan to industry. And basically, it was on how they'd be a good client. The 10th point of that plan was diversity. And they formed a cultural task force. And the cultural task force has been going for two years. And it has produced a culture standard that has just gone into consultation. So if you go on to the website, www.cultureinconstruction.com.au, the culture standard has been released. And the concept of the culture standard is that it will go through all government procurement of projects. And there's three pillars to it. The first is a time for life, working five days a week, 50 hours a week. The second is putting health back into WHS. So stop shouting safety and whispering health. Treat health as um, importantly as we do safety. And the third is diversity. Now, I would love more than anything that the industry adopt five days a week, 
that we give people back their lives, that we stop wearing that's the way I did it as a badge of honour and I did that when I was a cadet so you should do that and we actually say, you know what, it's, it's silly how we're operating, we need to recalibrate. We have been given the most amazing opportunity through COVID to recalibrate and I would love to see it as systemic change. So with that then, you know, one thing we, you know, we haven't really touched on and I suppose we kind of have to considering the, uh, the circumstances is COVID. And I'd be interested to understand what you think from a contractor's perspective, what the impact of COVID has been. Because the one thing we've certainly I've been in conversation I've been involved in over the last decade or so is that the industry has always been slow to change. It's always been slow to innovate. And I think when you look at digital uptake and digital transformation, we're right at the bottom of the list. And I think we're, I think it's only hunting that's slightly behind us. But as soon as they start killing yep. things by drone, we're in trouble. So what do you think has been the impact of COVID on using individual and, and Roberts Co as a business? COVID has been incredibly hard. And the last six months of COVID since the end of June has been the hardest period in my career. And From the 25th of June till about the 18th of September, the government changed the rules 18 times on us. And that was sometimes daily. It was sometimes every two days or every three days. So keeping up with all those changes and the immediate two-week pause that we got with no notice, that was incredibly difficult. And I feel like I lived seven weeks and seven days at one point during that pause. But COVID hasn't been all bad. COVID has put the construction industry into the biggest, fastest experiment on flexible working and it has been a resounding success. So for years, the old site managers or project managers would say to me, you can't work flexibly and be on a construction site. We've proved you can. We've proved you can work remote. You know, we put our, our engineers, our design managers, our contract managers and our project managers and said to them, you need to work a couple of days at home, a couple of days in the office and you need to alternate so we're in A and B teams and all those things that everyone did. And when they were at home, they had FaceTime, they had Zoom, they had Teams. They could see what was going on on site and still be remote and be safe. And so for me, we need to not lose that. And it's the first time that I can remember that the industry really collaborated, that the unions and the MBA spoke. And, and not only spoke, you know, collaboratively worked together to get the right outcome for the industry. And I thought that was amazing. And so those sorts of things we need to keep. And when, when I talk about working hours, the industry was a five-day-week industry in the early 90s, but interest rates went to 17% and the cost of time was enormous. The cost of time and the cost of money is so cheap now that we've got the ability just to dial it back a bit. And we're also in a market where the private sector is not as confident as it once was about projects and, you know, what's the position of commercial office going to be, what does office look like now, all those sorts of things have meant that commercial projects have stalled a little bit. So if we just take the heat out of the market and we just slow the projects down a tiny bit, enough for government stimulus to get us through this period for the private sector to recover instead of flogging ourselves going like crazy and then falling off a cliff because the private sector hasn't recovered would make more sense. But, you know, that's a grown-up conversation that needs to happen to say, you know, it's okay to back off 5% to make sure we can continue in a linear path post-COVID. And I suppose there's two things with that, isn't there? One, as you touched on there in terms of the boom and bust cycle, which has been, you know, the, the bane and the pleasure, I suppose, of working in the industry for so long, is it's about mm-hmm. making sure that we actually have a resilient industry, something that can keep going and it's not at the mercy of the boom and bust. 
And touching on something else you said about the industry collaborating in terms of the unions and contractors mm. and contractors, one of the things that I would throw into that mix from my side as a consultant was that we actually saw a lot more clients actually looking to collaborate with the construction sector as well and with their yes. contractors to understand where the issues yes. were. There were lots of discussions around, well, what's force majeure? You know, can, can the contractor claim delays, et cetera? And there was this worry that all these you know, disputes would rise because of this. But I think clients were kind of got wise to that very, very quickly and came to the mm. table to say, how do we resolve this? And actually made yes. decisions to actually make sure, pro, you know, whether that was through procurement or alternative materials or program or whatever, clients seem to yeah. be more open to the idea of let's help each other try and get through this rather than that's the contract, go and deliver. Absolutely. And we saw that on one of our projects. The client said to them, look, we need to get supply here. It's going to be delayed you have industrial facilities, can we pre-order and store it in one of your sheds? Because once we've got the materials, we can build with it. If we can't get the materials, we can't build. And it wasn't in the contract. And they said, absolutely, go and pre-order. We'll pay you for it. We'll store it. And then the job didn't suffer supply chain delays. And they, they worked with us. They could see we were trying to make sure, you know, get ahead of the curve. And so supportive, which was amazing, which was great, which is why you good clients to work with right yes yeah we'd all like to pick the good clients but unfortunately it's not always that easy but there's the one thing we we want to make sure going back to the theme for for the shovel this season is about resilience it's about brisbane resilience but the construction industry is part of that Mm. so it's about the industry resilience as well is is making Mm. sure that we just don't go back to what was before it'd Mm. be great if we could continue that momentum of the different parts of the construction sector continuing to collaborate and work together and the clients working mm. with the construction sector as well for best outcome rather than, you know, I've got a contract in there, I've got you over a barrel somewhere. And, you know, d- just speaking to, you know, I was involved in conversations a couple of weeks ago with uh, with Infrastructure Australia and the, their report that they've issued recently. When you read between the lines, and this has been understood for a while, but it's, it's, it's amazing when you think about it, is that we spend more money at the end of a project on disputes than we do spending the money yeah. up front to make sure the job is a success. In terms of procurement or engagement or design or whatever, it doesn't really matter. But we spend money at the wrong end of the... We've got an entire industry now that's built around disputes, which just shows how negative the industry's kind of become. And I'd hope that on the back of COVID and coming out from the pandemic and the you know, the benefits that we've seen, like you said, it hasn't all, it's been terrible, but it hasn't all been bad. There's been some good stuff to come out of it. How do we maintain... Absolutely. How, how do you think we maintain that, that kind of cultural attitude so that you know the contract isn't the first thing we resort to and we look to help each other first? I think part of that is going to come through the culture standards as well as the government formed in New South Wales the Construction Industry Leadership Forum and they're looking at risk profiles and how do we make it fairer. Ultimately, we're only hurting ourselves because the industry is not sustainable and you'll lose builders, you'll lose people. So it's very short-sighted and we need to keep remembering what we saw during COVID and keep challenging each other and saying, you know what, that's not okay because we learned to do this better in COVID. And I think it's really probably pushed the industry ahead 10 years in terms of some of the thinking and mentality. And we've got to, we need to keep driving that. And that's everyone in the supply chain. You can't look to government and say, you have to do this. We all need to do it at the same time. And we all need to to change. If you look at most of the major changes that has happened in the history of the world came as a result of world wars. We haven't had a world war. We've had a global pandemic. So what are we going to change as a result? If we look back in two years and we've changed something, we have lost the greatest opportunity of our lifetime. 
I think that's a, an absolutely great sentiment to end this podcast on, actually. You know, in terms of it's our opportunity to recalibrate the industry and keep challenging each other, you know, sentiment to, and worth to live by. So thank you very much for that, Alison. As always, it has been an absolute pleasure talking to you. Thank you for having me. The Shovel is a podcast for Property Leaders Brisbane and is kindly recorded and produced by BBS Communications Group. If you've enjoyed The Shovel, please subscribe, review and share to help spread the word. Music